Hi again, Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. I've got a, I would say it's a family book this time. It's called Amazing Discoveries That Unlock the Bible, A Visual Experience. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've read in the past as a younger person, read about Bible stories, it seems so far away. Uh, sometimes it almost seems mythical. But, you know, the events of the Bible, yeah, they happened a long time ago and far, far from us. But they happen to real people living in real places. And this book brings that life back for us. Um, it has great photos, got illustrations to take you back, uh, take you halfway around the world or take you back in time. They've got all sorts of recovered artifacts that are thousands of year, years old. They have photos of them. And, and yet it's simple explanations for each topic. And it's an archaeological journey, and that's what they said here. Come along on an archaeological journey through the Old and the New Testaments. And the, the point of it is they have illustrated some of the best finds of Bible history. And the images are beautiful in color, and they're free of all sorts of technical jargon. It's, it's just a, a great read. And I thought maybe for now, I just want to show you some of the things that are powerful that are in here. Um, I'm going to stick mostly, in fact, I think I'll just stick with the Old Testament because that seems further away, a little harder for us to picture what went on. So, for example, uh, early in the book, they show you something called Menepta's Stele. Now, a stele is a, a rock of some kind that's been polished and then people have chiseled some kind of statements into it because these are so long-lasting. If we can find them, we learn a lot about a certain time period. So there's this... Uh, I've heard it Mernepta, but this one spells it Menepta. And uh, it's the earliest reference to Israel. And they have a picture of it. And it's the earliest reference to Israel outside the Bible as a nation. And it comes from Egypt. So in 1896, they found this large granite memorial. It was uh, discovered in a funeral temple of one of the pharaohs, Menepta. He was ruler from 1224 to around 1214 B.C. So we're talking... 1,200 years before the time of Jesus, and it's a full of boasting, as you would expect. These pharaohs love to put all the good things that they've done. So it has his military accomplishments. And what's really nice is this. <clears throat> There's a part of it that says, Israel is laid waste. His seed is not. Canaan has been plundered. Now, see, what's interesting about that is that people that have been critics of the Bible, they've said things like, oh, come on. Israel wasn't even a national entity until the time of David, maybe 1,000 B.C. And uh, here we find independent evidence that Israel, as early as 1,200 B.C., they were separate, and they were settled in a, in a particular place, just like the Bible described. So pretty impressive. So that's Menepta or Mernepta's Stele, S-T-E-L-E, if you ever want to look up uh, that, because that keeps a lot of good information uh, for us today to find. If we can find these things, it's pretty neat. So there you go. There's one thing. You found out that that timeline that Bible scholars thought of are, is probably pretty accurate. You know, Abraham, maybe 1900 to 2000 BC, maybe Moses about 1400, and then the people come into the land and they've settled by 1200. And sure enough, here's this reference, a boast from a pharaoh in Egypt, who says, yeah, ha, I took down Israel. And apparently it was a real people group that he was proud that he had conquered. 
Okay, so that's one thing. There's that steely. Let's go to another one. I'm flipping the page over. It's titled, The Hebrews Are Coming, and these are called the Amarna Letters. So again, what they are, well, let me just give you the background on it. So there's this Egyptian woman that was digging around in a bunch of dirt near her home in the village of Amarna, which is in Egypt, and she came across lumps of hardened clay, and she thought, well, this isn't worth anything, but it's a good thing she didn't toss them or break them up or whatever. They were priceless. They were diplomatic letters written by Canaanite rulers back to the Egyptian pharaoh begging for help. And these letters from Canaan mention they're getting all sorts of attacks from a band of outsiders they called the Habiru, H-A-B-I-R-U. Now that's really close, isn't it, to the word Hebrews? And so maybe, and we can't prove it, but maybe these roving bands of these outsiders that are coming in and getting uh, the Canaanites really upset, these may have been the Hebrews under Joshua and, and the people later after Joshua. So something like 400 of these letters give some amazing evidence of Israel being successful against the Canaanites. Now, they admit, and I'm glad they put this in here, they said some scholars disagree with that. They said these letters are way too early for Israel. But the point is, they said that there were nomadic people in Canaan at this time. It was not unusual. And it was frustrating for the people there because they felt the Egyptians were powerless to help them. Here's part of a quote from one. By the way, uh, some of these Amarna letters are now in the British Museum. They got smuggled out of Egypt. I bet that's an interesting story. Some of them are in Berlin, and some of them are still in Egypt. Uh, they said a few are in private collections. Can you imagine? People come in your home, and you've got something on the wall. You've got something propped up, and they say, what's that? And you say, oh, that's one of the Amarna letters from maybe 1300 B.C. Wow. Seems like you'd have to protect it and keep it under wraps. But anyway... So here's a translation of a letter from a leader in Jerusalem begging for Egyptian help. He's, he's uh, writing to the Pharaoh. So here's what he says. Remember, this is from a uh, person in Canaan writing to the Pharaoh. While the king, my lord, lives, I will say to the commissioner of the king, my lord, why do you favor the Habiru and are opposed to the rulers? O king, my lord, there are no garrison troops here. May the king take care of his land. And so he's begging for help. Come, we're being overwhelmed. So it may be an early reference to the Hebrew people coming into that land. All right, let me skip over a couple more pages here. So you probably remember uh, the Bible has all sorts of references to the Hittites, the Hittite Empire. They're mentioned... 47 times in the Bible. Well, here's the catch. For the longest time, nobody could find one. So critics said, ha, your, your Bible, it's got all these things in it that are just mythical, these Hittites. There wasn't a single shred of historical evidence of the Hittites. But the Bible listed them as one of the nations that lived in Canaan during the time of Abraham. You can see that in Genesis 15:20. And then they said a thousand years later, they're buying horses from Solomon. That's 1 Kings 10.29. But critics said, no, no, no. You guys are just making this stuff up. Well, in 1876, a British scholar proposed that an unknown language that he was looking at, it was carved on building stones in Syria and Turkey. He said, that may be the Hittite language. 
By the way, there are all sorts of stories of these people who are uh, scholars who make guesses and see if they come true, and they've made some amazing discoveries. There's a great uh, story about Schliemann, the man who discovered Troy. Uh, I won't take the time to talk about that now, but it's, it's really interesting. People playing hunches, making best guesses, and then uncovering a, a complete kingdom. So that's 1876. So he says, maybe that language belongs to the Hittites. Well, fast forward 30 years. In 1906, there were some German explorers, and they were searching the ruins of an ancient city in Turkey. This, Turkey, this uh, city was called Bogazkoy. And they uncovered some temples. They uncovered sculptures. They found 10,000 clay tablets. And they said, guess who? It's the Hittites. So not only was that historical reliability of the Bible confirmed again, but they were able to find this group of people that shed a lot of light on Old Testament politics and Old Testament culture. So there you go. And they've even got, again, I'm not doing this book credit because I can't show you the pictures, but they've got a, a view, for example, of the actual city that was the capital for the uh, Hittites. And they show you here stone lions at the city gates that had their mouths open. Rawr! So they're telling people, be careful. This is a powerful empire. Kind of sad. It's totally gone now. But anyway, so there's, uh, again, a lot of information here. Oh, even the Hittites had treaties that they made with other uh, nations like Egypt. And it says, if you look at this treaty, it said it's very close. It suggests some of the covenants in the Old Testament made between God and his people Israel. So it was a, a typical format. Uh, the Hittite treaties started with blessings on those who would keep the treaty and curses on those who don't. It said they found their way into biblical covenants. So it verifies, really, the, these Hittite treaty formulas verify that the biblical documents were written early in Israel's history, not hundreds of years later like some critics would contend. So again, this seems to back up what the Bible is talking about. Let me take you another page here. This is talking about King David. Now, critics of the Bible, again, they've contended for the longest time. David wasn't a real person. He was just created later by a group of scribes that wanted to give Israel kind of a classy history. Well, they didn't find any record of David outside the Bible. So it was easy to say that. I mean, if you just say, well, he's only in the Bible, they say, well, yeah, but the Bible is what's suspect, so we don't trust it. Okay, in 1993, they found a stone slab up in the northern region of what was Israel, and the inscription on the slab exalted the deeds of a king of Aram, which was a nation that just to the north, if you can picture where Israel is, it's just to the north and the east of ancient Israel. And so this man, and they, his name is not there, but a lot of Bible scholars think this is the Aramean king, Hazael, who's mentioned several times in the Bible. And what's amazing about it, this inscription on this stone slab, that's another stele again, is references, guess what, the house of David. So if there's a house of David, that's a ruling family that descended from David, and then there must have been a real man with that name. So here's, here's what it says, part of it. And again, I just love this book because they show you that uh, slab, the, uh, the stone, and they show you in, in colors that they heighten, you can see where it actually says House of David. 
So the phrase house of David is highlighted in the photo. Here's what the inscription says. I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, and I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. So you hear the boasting in there. So apparently what happened was David had subdued this area of Aram. But as they weakened and divided and there's war between Israel and Judah, then, of course, the whole nation weakened and Aram uh, regained its independence. So all sorts of good stuff about that. And I will end on this one. Flip another page. It's called Finding the Philistines. It says the Philistines, of course, we know this, that as you read the Bible, they were one of Israel's fiercest enemies, weren't they? And during the time, especially the judges and Saul and David, they were a constant thorn in the side of the Israelites. And they actually uh, says Ekron, which was supposed to be one of the major Philistine cities, had never been found. It's in the Bible, Joshua 13, 3, and 23 other places. So Ekron was a big deal, at least according to the Bible. Well, what if you can't find it? In the 1980s, an Israeli and American were working together to uncover this ancient mound. They thought that that was the city of Ekron. By the way, these mounds are called tells. And what happens is if, if a city is built, it must have been built for a reason. Maybe there's a nearby water source or it was a port city or it was a good geographical defensive place or whatever. And if that city got destroyed, either through armies marching through or earthquake or something like that, people tended to rebuild right there when they came back. And so you get one layer of a city and then rubble and then a, the same uh, place that have a second layer of a city and a third and a fourth. And that's what happened to Troy. <clears throat> the guy that discovered Troy, he had to dig down through several Troys before he found the one that he thought was the one in the Trojan War. Well, anyway, that's what they found <clears throat> in uh, Ekron. It says the hunch paid off. They found a stone inscription that I positively identified the city and named five of its kings. And of those five, two of them were mentioned in the Bible. So there we go. There's more information backing up the Bible. So I would really highly recommend this, uh, the, the illustrations. You don't even have to really read a lot. You can just enjoy the pictures and the maps and all. But uh, it helps. this book helps validate the historical accuracy of the Bible. So if you've got kids who've heard all those once upon a time stories and then they hear the Bible stories, they may think, oh, here we go again, more uh, fantasy, more... Uh, fairy tales. No, these people lived, these people uh, had a life at a particular place at a particular time. So you might enjoy this one. Amazing discoveries that unlock the Bible. Okay, well, that's it for this uh, podcast.